Welcome to episode 26 of the All Walks of Art podcast. I am Michael Worth. I'm your host. I'm joined with my wonderful guest host, my buddy, my pal, my Paul. How are you, buddy? I'm, I'm your Paul. That's right. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. We have a great show planned for today. At least I think it is. I want to give a quick summary to those of you who may or may not want to listen. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some... Do you hear all that screaming out there? It's like we got a live audience. I don't know if anybody can hear that on the yeah. recording, but the TV kind of got loud. But uh, <laughs> right when I'm trying to <laughs> try to do I love something, it. This, is what, this, is this is what life what is, you know. Uh, but the uh, the summary of today is what makes an artist or their artwork more important or not. Hmm. What makes it memorable? Why? Why? Why is one art more important than the other? And I know this is a very subjective, opinionated judgmental type topic, but I think it's one that deserves discussion. And I think it's uh, something that I think you and I can handle pretty well because we are very judgmental and opinionated. <laughs> I have a feeling Jackson Pollock is going to come up. He might raise his r- ugly head and all that, but you also brought some good booze. What is this? This is, uh, I was at a party and somebody said, Hey, you want a little beer? And I said, sure. And I'll, I'll try it, you know? And, and uh, a little beer is this liqueur, 43. It's a Spanish uh, liqueur, and it's made with 43 different ingredients, supposedly. And oh, it's, that it's, makes sense. It's a secret Spanish family recipe from the Mediterranean, and it has citrus fruits infused with select botanicals, whatever the hell that means. But it's, well, got, it's not beer. No. We but, need to make that clear to everybody listening. Right. Yeah. And But a little beer is this with some heavy cream or whipped cream on top and when it, you pour it in there when you do a shot of it it looks like a, a little beer kinda. it really does yeah I'm, I'm quite surprised and it's a liquor so uh it's not what's that mean it's not like a whiskey it's not i mean it's still it's distilled but it's not like uh 80 proof or anything like that so that's probably what 30 percent uh, it's just uh 31 percent alcohol by volume okay yeah so it's uh 62 proof um, and it's Spanish, supposedly. So, from Spain. Let's give us a shot. Yeah, let's I'm let's, uh, let's try to. You know, I'm not a big drinker, so I really like these. I thought this was really cool. Oh, that could be dangerous. They're really good. Yeah, I like it. That is really strange. It's like beer with bite. It's really good. Okay. Especially with it's not as like it's not bad without the cream. But yeah. the cream just gives it just a little, yeah, a little hint, just a little bit of smoothness. That's cool. Well, I'm going to take my time with this as we talk. Uh, and they they say the rule is for those of you listening, and for Paul, because Paul may not know this either. He's not a professional drinker. <laughs> um, they say beer before liquor makes you sicker. Is that true? Yeah, actually, <laughs> if you get if if I get to drinking a lot of beer, and then I move to liquor. It, it really does do a number. What's on the uh, science behind it? Why is that? I don't know. That's a good question. There, there has to be a science behind it. I would say the the uh, alcohol processing has most of it. I mean, your body's already starting to try to deal with all the toxins, basically, that it's trying to get out of your body, and then you go and introduce something a lot more powerful, and your liver's already beat to death anyway. Hmm. So you're, you know, that's just my guess. I don't know. I could be wrong, but. Uh, that could be a thing. So with that in mind, I have a white Trappist ale from La Trappe. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's... Uh, La Trappe. 
Yeah, well, it's uh, no, it's Netherlands, it's Dutch, so it's it wouldn't be Lutrap. <laughs> it's kind of kind of weird. You know, it's like uh, Italian French with a little bit of American in it. <laughs> Burns so, my nose. This, it it this, does. Uh, it's it's really good. Um, so the reason I brought this up is that. Uh, you know, when we were in, in school, you know, and, and maybe it's our region, I don't know, but you've, uh, I'm trying to set this up in a good way so people can understand what I'm saying. When I, when I was doing the research for today's show, I was thinking, okay, well, what happened on January 2nd in the art world? You know, what, what significance is January 2nd in the art world? And, uh-huh. uh, on this day, I'm looking for my notes here. I gotta gotta find it really really carefully here, and I'm terrible at taking notes, and I can't find it. But on this day, January second, <laughs> all right, Mike, get to the point. Uh, George Seurat, Seurat, yeah, George Seurat Sir was Han, born. Sir Han? Oh. Yeah, do you know who he is? No. Tell he me. painted. He's best known, most well is is uh, most. Famous painting is a Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte. It's a very nice painting. It's pointillism. Uh, it's uh, basically a lot of big dots that are put together. And he, he believed that if you wanted to make purple, you put red and blue next to each other in dots and your eyes can do the mixing. Really? So, yeah. And he's right. Huh. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite impressive. Uh, I thought... And maybe I did, but I thought when I was in night in the late eighties, I went to New York city and I, I was in, uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And I remember seeing this painting on the wall thinking, that's the one, that's the one from the books that I was learning in school. I got to go look at this painting. And it was huge. Right. And the, the, the points, the pointillism, the dots were so big. They were like quarter size, dime size dots. I mean, they were just huge, but from 20 feet away. My mind was blending those colors, and I was seeing it more representational of what it should be. And up close, it just looked up, terrible. Yeah, up close, it was just like, wow, that's, ugh, you know, kind of like beer goggles. <laughs> you know, wow, she's hot. And then you get close, and it's like, no, she's not. <laughs> All right, no offense to anybody who's ugly. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, from what I learned, though, the original is actually larger. He, this, this painting took two years to make. How and, big is this thing? Uh, it's uh, six foot, 10 inches by 10 foot, one inches. Don't ask me to do the the centimeters. Cause I, I don't remember what those are and I didn't put them in my notes. And but, they were quarter size dots or yeah, actually yeah. they were bigger. The quarter size dots on the, Just, one they varied. They okay. varied. Uh, the one, the one that I personally got to see in New York city, I believe is the study. It's slightly smaller. It's like six feet by eight feet or something. So how'd they make that? Well, he made it as a study, uh, meaning it was a preparatory painting for the other one. Okay. So um, the 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 original, from what I understand, resides in Chicago at the Art Institute Let's of Chicago. Look at this. I'm going to see this. Yeah, it's only six hours away. We can hop on the Let's train and go. It would be fun to we'll do. We'll do the I, podcast I like in the car on the way up. Oh, that's a good idea. And we, we can just get do a, it on a drive. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you can't, I'm already burping. Uh, you can't drink if we do that. Why not? 
I guess we could take a train. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be fun. But take a train to Chicago. You can you can have a, a little drive. I mean, they they <laughs> they have a wine at lunch in Europe, and then they drive. I mean, yeah, yeah. But anyway, the, the, <laughs> Mr. Soro, uh was only thirty one when he died. He died in eighteen ninety one, so not long well, after he painted this wow. particular painting, which again took two years to make and and behind you my maker's mark painting that i've been uh working on i noticed i started last january it's come along now so it it has but it, i'm moving way too slow i gotta pick it up uh what this guy die of though you're getting off uh, i i i would guess he probably uh consumption that was common in those days right <laughs> tuberculosis that what it was i don't know i don't tell you I, I don't have time to read. People oh. are listening. All right. They don't want to wait for me to read. All right. um, but he was born in 1859. But I, the point I'm trying to make here is, and I'm surprised you don't remember him. I know, let me bring up the painting because I think you could, I don't really want to turn stuff. Can you, can you yeah, see I'm, this? I can turn around and look. All right, come over here and look at this. Do you recall ever seeing this painting? We need one of them Joe Rogan big screens on in the studio here for you to look at. Do you remember that at all? Seeing it from a book or anything? It does look a little bit familiar. All right. But that's what he it, made with the big dots. Yeah, yeah. These are the dots. Huh. Uh, each each one of the no colors are blended before they go into it. It's all pretty much primaries and tertiary and secondary colors that are all put together uh, to create this. I don't know what his palette was. Uh, one of our listeners probably knows. I don't know. Um if you know, make sure you drop me an email. Let me know what, what his palette was. But, uh, you know, it's it, it's kind of interesting because that, to me, represented all that I knew of from the late 1800s. It was impressionistic and post-impressionistic paintings. And we're going we're gonna to get into modern era stuff here, too, because I don't want to bore you with all this history. But this is really important that we bring it up. And and I need to make this very clear is how many artists didn't I know of because this was popular? Mm. And I'm not in total disagreement with impressionistic painting and, and all that sort of stuff. But I'm more of a realist. I, I And I'm not that good of a realist. So I'm, I'm kind of in between. I can't seem to pull it off the way some of these classical realist painters do it. That's kind of my goal is I want to get there. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've lost you. Yeah, it's like that with anything, though. It's whatever whatever the populace deems worthy, that kind of gets the lion's share of the attention. And there's always there's always a band or there's always a, a sculptor or a musician or a, a an artist that quote unquote may have more to offer, but is overshadowed by something that's popular. I think it's been like that forever. I I think that's a good segue to where I'm going with this. I decided I know there's other artists out there who I admire and I wanted to compare. I just wanted to see what your opinion was. Now, you you may not have ever heard of Soro, but you probably vaguely remember the work. Right. I think everybody who's ever taken art one in high school was probably introduced to Soro 
because of some project they had to do with pointillism, you know, dots. So this is something they teach. They teach yeah, it. this is a, this is like a technique. Yeah, that, it's it's a real common. Really? Yeah. Do you, do you have you ever painted like that? Do you paint like that? With I no, but uh, with pen and ink work, I do a lot of pointillism. It's okay. it's a method for me to be able to blend. Um, kind of like if you look up here, I know the people listening can't see this, but one of the pen and ink drawings I have above my head, uh, the flag, that gray tone mm -hmm. that's in the flag is all dots. Really? Yeah, because the mixture of the white paper and the the dots, you. based on the density of the dots, creates a gray look. Okay. Because your eyes are doing all the work. That's pretty cool. But if you get up close, you can see the dots. I mean, it's the same same principle, right? But I got to thinking, who else lived among this time that most people didn't get to see? And this guy, uh, Jean-Francois Millet, also French. It seems like everybody was French in those days. And my French is horrible. So if you're listening and you're hearing me butcher these names and stuff, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm a dumb white kid from central Ohio. I can't, can't talk like this. Um, he was born October 4th, 1814 and died January 20th, 1875. But he was part of the, uh, realism movement. That was his style of art. And I feel like I'm putting you to sleep. No, I'm just listening. I'm not. <laughs> I think I'm a little bust. <laughs> that was a big really? shot. Yeah, that was a big shot. All right. I don't drink. I, I know there's a lot of art history here, uh -huh. and, and I really, I don't want this show to ever become that. But I, I think it's important that we get a little bit of this out of the way so that we can really get into the meat of the discussion of why certain art becomes more memorable right. versus other art. So my point here is we all have heard of Soro for the most part. I think a lot of us, I, I would say most of our listeners have heard of him. Um, and we're sitting there thinking to ourselves, okay, why did, why did they teach that? Why was it important for the art history books and the books that we have in high school and maybe even early college? Why did they only focus on the, the big hitters, you know? And I want to relate this to music because I think this, music-wise, I think this is going to make more sense to you. We only hear Judas Priest. Everything's Judas Priest, right? So you're you're listening to Judas Priest. Why doesn't more people know about Tim Ripper Owens, even though he's part of Judas Priest? Well, that's a little bit that they, they've tried to erase his whole uh, his whole tenure with the band. Mm -hmm. Out. You can't even get those two albums he's on on, so, on iTunes, I believe. Holistically, so. are we doing that with art? Are we trying to erase what we don't like to promote what we do? I think that's apples to oranges in, in this discussion as far okay. as with Ripper. I think it's a conscious effort with Rob being back in the band that, that the management or maybe even segments of the band is just trying to act like that didn't happen. But But I don't think the band would still exist if it wasn't for Ripper keeping the torch alive when that happened. But, yes. I, but I think with other bands, it's like for every successful uh, band that you see that, that is on soundtracks and is playing big, um, you know, arena shows and this and that there's, there's 500 bands that are, are still doing it. And all that there's probably 10 that is as good, if not better. Right. You yeah, know, we, right in that, yeah. in the town that they're playing. We've talked a lot about talent. Uh, talent doesn't make it memorable, does it? No, not necessarily. Um, 
I mean, even, even in the aspects of musicians, like drummers who look at drummers, we all have heard of Neil Peart. We, we know, um, uh, Mike Portnoy, Portnoy. Right. Um, well, we're talking a lot of French, so he can be yeah, Portnoy yeah, today. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, the very technical drumming, but what's memorable about it? And I, th- I think this is kind of getting to me too. I'm I'm starting to blah 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 blah. Sneaks up on you, don't it? Does it was a big shot. Um, There's a there's a big part of me that says, as we look at art, the people who have the control of what gets historically recorded or talked about have a bigger influence on what we like. And this could get really deep. We could go sideways here pretty bad, but you know, the, the media really controls what the masses think. Well, it does in a way, you know, the radio decides what you're going to listen to. The TV Mm -hmm. decides what you're going to be exposed to. You have to, you know, that, and that's good enough for the general populace, but a, a lot of people, I think that we fall in this category and, and I'd say some people listening uh, to this fall in the category of we like to search out things that maybe is off the beaten path. Right. And, but not everybody's like that. So you're never going to have, um, you're never going to have that broad, that broad scope, you know, because the, like I said, there's only so much of the pie to go around. And yeah, even if it's not a nefarious kind of thing, radio programmers have to decide what they think people are going to latch on to and they play that on the radio people you know youtube um what is it the people that, that come up with playlists and right. all this and that right. they are um uh you know playlist uh, there's a name for it playlist um not connoisseurs there's there's a word for it but the people put this up you know they they can't put a hundred things in there they have to narrow it down to to 50 things and yeah. and they may that may be a good broad stroke for most of middle America, but other people's going to look in deeper and be like, well, maybe I want something a little bit different. It's like, you know, steak's great, but you know, (laughs) it's easier to get a cheeseburger sometimes. Yeah. Right. Right. That's interesting. Does that mean as artists, if we really want to succeed, we cave a little bit to our own, desires and say, I'm going to go ahead and go after fame because that's, what's going to give me the best return on investment. Does that, is that what makes us memorable? Not necessarily, but I mean, you think of, uh, there's a lot of different things that make you memorable. I mean, Marilyn Manson was memorable for his antics and mm-hmm. some of the stuff that he did mm-hmm. in the beginning of his career. I mean, Maplethorpe, Right. I mean, but, I but don't musically, Marilyn Manson, I want to, I want to, I want to focus in, I want to hone in on that for a second. Musically, it's not bad. No. I mean, his, it's a professional level. Right. You know, it may not appeal to everyone. But I don't know that, especially like that first album, it's got, there's some of the, my favorite Manson songs is on that first mm-hmm. album. But as a, as a, just looking at it as a whole, um, would it have been a, as good without the whole package, I don't know. I don't know that without the controversy, without the yeah. the shock shock of it. I same way with Slipknot. I think the music's good, but 
without their the I hate to call it a gimmick, but you know, without that, yeah, yeah, without, without their the, stage presence, right? Yeah. Is it really as good? Now, Alice Cooper, I think that uh, I think some of those tunes, I think regardless of whether you know he had the makeup and he had the stage show, um, I think some of the, those albums, some of that music still holds up. But I think you just got to look at it as a case by case. Basis. I, yes, absolutely. And and this is, I mean, it, I understand that what we're talking about right now is very, very subjective. And what you like and what I like and what somebody else likes really isn't the discussion here. Because I want to, I want to just clear the air for a moment. I spent the whole, I spent all of 2019 bashing Jackson Pollock and um, those guys, those kids from Hanson. What's uh, their band. Hanson. Yeah. Uh, or Nickelback. Nickelback. Yeah. All grown up. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I, I picked on, I know them a lot. I, I respect them. I respect them for the work that they've done and the art they've created. I don't necessarily like it. Right. You know, and that, that's not the point here. Um, we all have our own thing and, and clearly popularity won in their circles. Right. Right. Um, I can sit here and say, well, my work's not good because nobody knows I exist. Maybe nobody exists because nobody knows about it. Right. It's not that the work isn't good. It's just, I haven't been able to show enough eyeballs and get the right scene. So that works for any artist. And I, I want to make this very clear because I know there's somebody listening who's thinking, but I'm good enough. And yeah, you are. Everybody is. If you're making art, you've got to get to the point where you understand that your art can only be made by you. And just because you're not famous or written about or memorable to some people does not mean that your art is any less valuable to somebody. Right. You know, most of us only need a handful of people to be able to survive uh, monetarily from our work. So let me get back to Jean-Francois Millet, all right? He puts me in mind of, uh, what's, what's the guy playing uh, uh, Darth Vader's grandson? What's, uh, <laughs> help me here, the new movie, Rise of Skywalker. Um, I know, I'm talking like I don't know anything. Kylo Ren. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, this guy kind of looks like Kylo. I'm not going to lie. What's what's the guy's real name? Do you know? Yeah, I do know it, but you uh, asked me too quick. <laughs> I, I got Minnie Mouse on my mind, so I think his name's got Minnie in it. Is that right? <laughs> Sorry, I I just can't. He doesn't seem like a Darth to me. That like he hasn't earned the you seen Darth. Seen the new movie? I have not yet. Pretty good. It well, is. he's not a Darth. He's a Kylo Ren. He's Kylo. Yeah. What is his name? Um. Damn it. <laughs> you got to see this. Look at this picture. I know I'm going to make you get up again. But uh, Jean-Francois Millet, 1840, or 1814, sorry, born 1814. Do you see the resemblance there? He's got that look. He looks a little bit like... Uh, Dark and brutish. Looks a little bit like Ray Romano, too. Just a hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't do Ray what Romano. What is that guy's name? Um <laughs> He was, anyway, this, because uh, I know everybody's listening going, can you get to the point, Mike? Can you Is there a the point, point in there somewhere? There's a point. He was uh, a founder of the Barbizon School of France, a romantic movement in art. 
He was naturalistic, realistic. Uh, he, he was uh, one of those people that you just don't hear about so much. And and I don't want anybody to think you know the barber's on school. It's not it's not about hair. It's <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> it. It is a a school of art that promoted realism, and his work is absolutely fantastic. It's uh, very reminiscent of the Dutch masters of the 1700s. And I think we have a lot of that today. There's a lot of uh, a lot of work being produced that people just think is boring and old and time to move on. And and we have that in music. I mean, we really do, right? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, Kylo Ren's name's Adam Driver, by the way. Adam you were Driver. thinking Minnie Mouse, Minnie Driver, Minnie Driver. Yeah. yeah, there you go. See, there's a connection. Um, but you know, he's realist. Another, another. This this guy. I got to bring up this guy because, and and people listening, I really want you to go out and search these things because if you find something that, that you like, research it. Go out and, and develop your own taste. Don't let the media tell you what you should like and what you should not like. And that's that's where I'm going going with this. Um, well, I got a good example of that. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but so So I just, and coincidentally, I read an article about how... Um, uh, like Metallica did a bunch of Diamond Head songs. Oh, and be- I didn't even know that. I'm a Metallica fan. Well, so like uh, um, Blitzkrieg, or yeah. I think no, that's, who is that? That's not Diamond Head. That's another band, but um, Am I Evil? That's yeah. a, oh, that's yeah, a Diamond yeah. Head song. I didn't know that. And then they did some God, other I'm Diamond terrible. Head songs on, on Garage Incorporated. They did some Merciful Fate songs on Garage Incorporated. And because of that... Were you in that band, Merciful Fate? No, no, I was never in Merciful <laughs> Fate. Um I would like to have been, but uh, for those that don't know, that's King Diamond's original band. Yeah. And, um, but Metallica is so big that them doing those songs due to the publishing and stuff that, and the royalties that Diamond Head gets and um, Merciful Fate gets, like they're set, like they get enough money from that that they can make a nice living just from, just from, from Metallica doing a couple of their tunes. <laughs> really? Yeah. But I think that's a good example of how these are bands that never uh, reached the success that Metallica did, but these were bands that influenced them and them spreading the gospel of, hey, these are some bands that, that we really love and these are some songs that influenced us. This is what we're doing. That's how you, there's your validity. Does that mean that Metallica is, you know, more valid, uh, you know, more valid as an artist than Merciful Fate. Well, Merciful Fate inspired them, but they didn't reach the same success. But yet they use their platform to try to sp- show us a spotlight on these bands and, and this music that influenced them so much to make them who they are. And I think that's what you got to kind of do. And I think most good artists, they do that. You talk about, um, you talk about, <laughs> about artists that, um, that you like uh, and uh, musicians and music and stuff that you like. There you go. You know, that's how, that's how you get the general public that isn't ready to do the kind of research that maybe we would do. That's how you get them out there. That's how you show the spot, you know, put the spotlight on these kind of side artistic people. In my opinion, I, mean, I, I think you're totally onto something there, and and I think there there's a whole 
trying to think of something very clever to say because you just kind of clean the floor with this. Um, I think we need to understand that there is a huge, I don't, I really don't know how to say this. I, I will say this though. Our listeners, the people who listen to this show, not the ones who hate the show, because I don't know why you would listen to it if you hated it. Um, but the ones who really come back every month, you know, it's almost like they're interested in art but they're also interested in heavy metal because we kind of mix that a lot. And I think after 26 episodes, we're starting to find our stride. We're, we're definitely not the typical art podcast, right? Even though we call it the all walks of art and we're not a music podcast, but I think we're kind of the heavy metal intellectual classical realist (laughs) kind of a podcast that you would listen to if you were interested in all these sorts of things. And I, I, I really want people listening to think about this because this is a, this is a topic. I, I chose today's topic mainly because I know there's no answer. There's, there's no clear answer to what I'm getting at in any of the questions I've asked. I went out to, to Twitter and I asked. Twitter is uh, a dark place. It is a very dark place. I went to Twitter and I asked folks, you know, and I, I did get a response. Um, Art, art really is so subjective that unless we search it out for ourselves, we're not going to find what moves us. And to me, that's what art is. If, if I were to tell you to look at Scooby-Doo over there, my painting of Scooby-Doo, this is not the cartoon Scooby-Doo. This is uh, my dog, Scooby. His, his full name was Scooby Anthony Dew Worth. <laughs> that's what my daughter called him. <laughs> uh, that painting there... You know, I, I think memorable art comes with a story. You know, if you were walking in a store somewhere and you saw that painting, it'd be like, oh, look, that's a cute dog. Move on. But if I told you the story of it, that at my old house in town, we had my, my studio was in the basement and I had a um, love seat that I kept down there so that when I wanted to just stop painting for a minute, I could just sit back in the love seat. And I kind of do miss that. I miss the whole lounge thing. It'd be good for this podcast if we could just sit down in the lounge, but I would go down there to paint and the most peculiar thing would happen. I mean, he'd be out, he's a puppy in this, in, in that picture. Right. And he would, he, it's like, if I would go to the basement, he'd come down there and just lay on that couch, watch me paint. I stopped painting. He'd leave. It's like he was so interested in me painting that he wanted to just see what was going on. So one day I turned around from the the easel. I grabbed my camera. In those days, it, I was still using film. Digital wasn't really a thing then. And I snapped a shot of him. I thought, well, I'm going to do a painting of this and see how it goes. And I wanted to do it a little different. So it's for for some people, the memorable part of this painting would be that it's done in watercolor. But some people would see that there's pointillism in it. Because some of the ink is actually different color ink. Hmm. Because I actually did it in pen and ink with watercolor. It's it's a combination. It's a mixed media uh, painting. I think it pulled off really well. I think he looks like he did when he would lay there and watch me. It has that photographic look about it because it, part of it is in focus and part of it is not. Whereas a lot of paintings are just very, you know, everything's detailed, right? Right. 
versus, you know, like you would have in a, in a painting. So the story of that, I think, has more impact than the painting itself. And that's just me talking. There's people who like the painting a lot. None of that means anything to me. He just looks kind of sad or thoughtful. And that's what I know. Yeah. His eyes and just the way he just looks. I don't know. Almost like he's waiting for me to get done so we could go play. Yeah. 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 It's kind of the way I look at it. Because he was always waiting for me to do that's something. That's what always hits me at. Not knowing, not knowing the whole story before. Yeah. You know? He was the most hated love dog I've ever had. <laughs> Tear up a lot of stuff. Oh, he did, man. He chewed everything. Wouldn't listen to me. Uh, when he was in the house, he was a good dog. As soon as he got outside... He was not in the backyard. He was good because we had a fence, but in the front yard, I had to bribe him with a cookie and a ride. It was always, you want to go for a ride? And he'd come running, you know, but you get within 20 feet of him. He'd go 20 feet further, Yeah, you know, and he'd wait for you to catch up and he'd go a little further. I mean, he didn't want to actually run away because he liked his dog bowl clearly, <laughs> but he didn't want to be caught. So he, he, and he lived a long time. He was about 14, 15 years old when we finally had to put him down. He had, he had a lot of, a lot of tumors and he was a, he was a lab chow mix is what we think. Uh, found him on the streets of Columbus. He was a puppy. Somebody oh. just dropped him off and we took him in. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So loved him. He did. He was a good dog. <laughs> Thanks for bringing us all down. Now he's gone. <laughs> he's always in my heart and always on my wall. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like, but that, that, that's the point. That's memorable. Right? right. That's the whole point of the art. But if that was, if that was hanging up in, in, uh, in, um, Hobby Lobby and somebody walking by it, somebody's going to look at that and it's, it's, it's going to hit them because that reminds them of their dog. Yeah. Or, yeah, somebody like me is gonna look at that and be like, uh, I don't know, just the way, just the way it looks. It's the eyes and and just the way that the, I don't know that dog. I don't know that dog was based on a real dog. I right. just know that that's there and there's something about that that stirs up some distant memory in in my brain and my heart or my soul, and and makes it makes me want that. Right. Somebody so, you may, if you told that story in a, at a, a, um, oh, what's that place they go to get to the, the humane society. Yeah. And then that story may give that validity to these other people and see that. And they look at that picture a whole different way. Now they oh, want yeah. a copy of that. Hey, absolutely. I think, I think we're kind of getting to somewhat of an answer to what makes art memorable. I think if it has a story that makes it memorable. If it strikes an emotional nerve with somebody, the viewer, the the listener, the whatever you want to call it, if it strikes an emotional nerve, that makes it memorable. It definitely, you know, and I, I, I really, I mean, literally, the whole reason I brought this all up was I was doing research, thinking. I mean, it was like five in the morning. I'm sitting here going, "Oh shit, I got to come up with something that Paul and I can talk about." I mean. I could talk about the booze all day long and art I take for granted because I'm an artist, you know? And as I'm putting things together, I was like, okay, what, what happened today? What happened on January 2nd? And Soro come up and I know we've, we've talked about him and, and the stories in the past, I think on a couple other episodes, I don't know which ones they are. I don't, I, I just don't remember that good, but we've talked about it before. 
And there is a story behind my trip to New York City and, and made me think about this painting even more. And it kind of sticks with me. I don't particularly like the art. Um, the art itself is kind of meh to me. And, and everybody can throw things at me all they want about, you know, you're talking about this guy, but yet, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's why I'm bringing Malay into the picture. And this uh, Ernest Messonnier is another realist painter, somebody I've never heard of ever. And I was just looking for hmm. period, time period. You right. know, are we in love with the time period? Are we, you know, all we hear about in the 1800s is literally impressionism, you know, or post-impressionism. And these guys are both academics uh, in terms of realism. And Messonnier was known for uh, his realist work and... Uh, very big on, on soldiers. He did a lot of, a lot of soldier paintings, you know, a lot of, I think historically speaking, these make good, good visions of what soldiers look like in those days. Cause mm -hmm. you know, the camera was just, just becoming popular towards the end of the 1800s. Um, so if you would just take a look, take a look at some of these paintings, this is not something that I would consider. Oops, sorry folks. This is not something I would consider late 1800s paintings because we are always taught that the Impressionist, like Monet and Renoir, all of them had Go back up. more of an influence on the art world in those days because it was popular, mm -hmm. right? You know? We'll blow that up. This one right here. This one is, uh, and you're going to, I'm going to completely obliterate this. This was made in 1872, 100 years before I was born. Portrait of Marquesa de Manzanando. <laughs> I am so sorry for ruining that, but it's, uh, Pretty cool. it's a portrait of a woman sitting in a very elegant dress in a room full of red velvet. There's some blue and some white. Very, very detailed, very delicate. The dress is very long, very flowing. Yeah, it's uh, quite quite good, but Ernest Messonnier made that painting. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's one of them things where you just kind of think to yourself, was all this other art just not important? Because academia said, well, this was the movement of the 1800s, so this is the only art that came out of the 1800s. And I think that's a lot of it. Right. I'm sure some of that was important to somebody. Oh, yeah. Somebody yeah, loved yeah. it. Yeah, they made a living. They they did well. You know, um, I'm glad they held on to the classical realist um, foundations to leave it for us today to learn the same ways. And um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, if. But I, you hadn't heard of this guy till today. No, I unless I went through and started doing this research, I would have never have learned any of this. Right. Honestly, and and I'm an artist, so it's kind of like I, why don't I research who I like? Well, because it's hard to research something you don't know about. You have to have a springboard to. Ooh, that's good. You have to have a springboard to get you there. You can't, you can't learn. You know, you can search for things that are like X. You yeah. can search for things that that happen in the time period of X. But you cannot look for something you don't know about. And that's why I think that's our job as artists uh, to um, 
try to turn people on to things that excite us. Like if you get in this guy and now you've discovered him and you've talked about him today, now maybe one person out there listening, well, they'll try to find this cat and maybe True. that will inspire yeah. them somewhere. Yeah. It's like us talking about Crowbot all the time. Um, yeah, right. We, we yeah, I never heard of Crowbot before until we went to see him. Right. You know? We really love Crowbot. And Crowbot, you know, hasn't quite had that the mass um the mass public uh success, but they're getting there. Um right. uh that heard one of their songs on a video game I downloaded the other day. So I mean <laughs> really? you know, on a video game. Yeah, so, wow. pretty cool. But the thing is, is like that's our responsibility as artists to talk about things that that maybe somebody else hadn't heard of to turn them on to some somebody like Crowbot or like this Messinier or um you know, another band, if you're talking metal with somebody and, and one of these younger kids that's in the, you know, some of this extreme uh, stuff. And I'm like, well, a kid back in the 90s, you know, I used to listen to Fear Factory, you know, something that maybe they hadn't heard of. That's my responsibility as an artist just as much as making content is to um, turn people on to things that maybe they hadn't heard of. I totally agree with that. Totally, totally agree with that because it's not opinionated at that point. You're just kind of sharing what you've, the knowledge you have. This is what inspired me. This is what, what I've stolen from. This yeah. is what, what listen to them is what made me think about doing this or, um, you know, this is what, this is what gets me going. I think that's your responsibility is to, and, and to get it back to what I was talking about earlier. Um, none of us would know who the, hell diamond head was if it wasn't oh, yeah. for metallica right i mean merciful fate yeah but but diamond head w without a doubt i mean they would have been lost to the the um you know they would have been a, a footnote of one of the early metal bands that right, just right that other bands after them just did did better or did differently right. did got more mainstream success and um and they're awesome bands that's I what mean, I love about a lot of albums. They'll they'll go in the band to put in their influences. Yes, and I love that, right? Be, because that that makes you dig deeper into okay, if that's their influences, is that how they come up with their sound? Is that how right. they developed as a band? You can start hearing things that that okay. Well, this reminds me. It's it's like uh, I read an uh, interview with Mustaine the other day, and he was talking about putting in the uh, Sweet Home Alabama and um the four horsemen mm -hmm. and now because cliff was real in the skinnered and <laughs> he know. he did it kind of as a joke <laughs> and and you know of course he went on to megadeth he does this, his version of the song is called the mechanics and it's like super fast but yeah. it's in there and now anytime you hear the four horsemen it goes that middle breakdown you can totally tell it's yeah. it's um sweet home alabama yeah. i mean it's just like it's crazy but that's cool. You know, that's Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and and this is the thing. The popularity kind of drives the boat. We all know this. It does. I mean, you look at Instagram right now and it's like there are so many talented painters. If you just go in there and do a search on the hashtag oil painting, it's amazing. It's staggering how many painters out there are fantastic at what they're doing. And we look at history today it's like there all the artwork came out of france but it didn't there was one man johan hendrick weisenbruch weisenbruch johan with a j yes yeah johan with a j hendrick not like hendrix 
but Hendrick, he was uh, also from the realist school, but he was, I chose him because uh, he was born June 19th, 1824 and died in 1903, March 24th. So he also lived a time when impressionism was king, right? Mm -hmm. So his work probably didn't get critical acclaim because it was old and boring <laughs> or not part of the popular whatever. And in his work, I like it because there's a little bit of uh looseness and realism all kind of thrown in together. Very deliberate puts me in mind of Sergeant John Singer Sergeant and uh, where a brushstroke meant something, you know, that was the one thing about Sergeant that I really like is that, you know, from a distance, it's like, oh, look at the light on the, the coming in from that window of that that ballet studio that he he painted. And, you know, it's like, wow, that's that really looks like light. And then you get up close, you realize it's one fucking stroke. The guy was a genius. You know, it's like he right. could just he commanded, you know, one stroke. If if it would take me like like this maker's mark painting, I'm just going to use it as a good example of this. I, I like the painting. I'm having a fantastic time with it. It's large for me. It's detailed for me it's a lot there's a lot going on but the parts of the painting that i enjoy the most are the ones that just seem to happen right that one stroke just did it it's like oh it's done finished you know i can sit there and do three to five strokes and not get it right but that time when i do that one stroke on that one part of the painting it's right that's when i know that was good I can't imagine painting an entire painting of single stroke perfection. And that's where Singer was. John Singer Sargent was for me. Wow. So, but I, I wanted to bring up this Johann Hendrik Weisenberg because I also brought some alcohol for the show. And I know you're probably like not into it now. Um, no, I want to have, <laughs> I'm going I'm to try this, but just a little tiny All bit. All right. So this, this is called, uh, this is a Trappist Ale. And it's also from... Trap music? No, it's also from the Netherlands. That's why I brought up Johan. Uh, this is made by monks. For real? Yeah, for real. I don't believe that. It's true. There's only a handful. And, and actually, uh, I'm going to hand you this bottle because I'll, I'll open the other one. But there's a little hexagonal seal on the bottle. Give me this bottle. Look at that bottle. Uh, yeah, for those just, of you listening who's never, a bit your never had a Trappist Ale. Authentic uh, Trappist. Yeah, there's only like five in the world. At least there were back when I researched it. So what it. makes it a Trappist? It's uh, made in a monastery by monks. That's that's it? That's what makes it a Trappist? Yeah, there's only like five in the world that can actually claim that title. The Trappist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is this good? I know it will be. I've not had it, but I know it will be. And that's why I want you to have it because this is a beer that really doesn't. Oh, and I got moisture on my keyboard. Oh, God. Oh, no. So don't drink it yet. Okay, this is a lot. It's not very much. No. This is a this is an easy drinking beer. It's like 5%. I like that frappe we had or whatever the hell it was called last time. <laughs> um, Caffeine. Just so you know, Trappist ales are my favorite. Now, this is this is the only of all the Trappist ales. This is the only white Trappist or wit beer. 
made by any of them. And letting this all sit in my ice here was probably not a good idea because we got a lot of moisture going on. But uh, cheers. I think uh, I think I think you'd be surprised if you've never had the Viking in me really gets excited about having a monk made beer. <laughs> <laughs> right before you kill them, yeah. you try it. Tell me what you think, because I, I I haven't I haven't tasted this one yet. <laughs> As he smacks his lips, looks at it, he's not real sure. Again, he doesn't drink, so you know the love of God was put into this beer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I don't. I don't love this. You don't really. Mm. It tastes like stale doom pedal to me. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I will say it's probably not the best Trappist ale that I've had. I I, I I prefer a triple. That's kind of my favorite. And quadruples are good, too, but triples, triples are kind of my thing. Hand. Let's see what we got. It don't smell bad. It looks good. Yeah. I, I think it's got a really nice yeah, I hate that. flavor. Really, you don't like it? I no, was I really, I'm surprised. Yeah. I was really... You know, I don't hate hate it. I just dislike it. You think because it's not popular, you just don't like it? No, because <laughs> I Budweiser's pretty popular, and I really hate that. So, <laughs> just just trying to bring this around, you know, for everybody to listen. Um, but that's the thing. If if you know, you talk about content. It's like Gigi Allen. His his content was his music. I, I don't really like, and I'm not ever going to listen to it. But his antics and the things that made him an artist. And I'm, you know, not trying to be judgmental, but I'm using that term pretty loosely in this case. But, I mean, he made his mark. He's known um, that that whole package went into that. And I think that if you're in, it's like what we talked about with Manson and, and with um, uh, Slipknot and Alice Cooper, you know, you got to mm -hmm. do some things to to kiss I mean, really, right. listen to some of the, that early Kiss stuff. I mean, it's just kind of, kind of paint by numbers, rock and roll. Right. Um, it was the whole, it was the whole package. But you talk about these bands. If it's somebody that you really like, like if 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 uh, Robert Plant mentions a band that he's really into or he's discovered, I'm going to check them out. If um, you know somebody else mm. who I'm, you know, Billy Sheen talks about. Um, a band or you know a, a new bassist right. that he heard and he's into i'm going to check it out because so, you respect their authority and i know well not so, i like their art so i yeah. feel like if if i like their art then maybe i'll like some of this stuff with influence right. it's like like with metallica with diamond head and and some of these other ones and if there's somebody out there that likes your art and you talk about some of something that you've discovered then somebody out there is going to go listen to that True. if we post about Crowbot on social media and somebody likes my music they think well i like this guy's music mm -hmm. i like his band and he's you know talking about it one person might well i'm gonna give this a shot just because you know people respect your opinion if they mm -hmm. respect your art that that's a good point and and that that kind of goes along with the idea that you know if if the only thing you know about the music you listen to or the art that you look at or whatever, if it's, if it's all, you know, because it's popular, you need to scratch that itch a little bit more and go deeper. Right. You need to find out what makes it tick. 
Find out why you like it. Do you like it because everybody else does? And that's the, that's, that's the kick in the nuts I'm trying to throw here is that don't, don't be so quick to be like everybody else. I, I think we're living in a time where you can find anything that you like. I mean, there's even movies out there that are just bizarre that I can't believe are even in the movies that appeal to certain people. Right. And it, it's not a guilty pleasure because I hate that word. That's funny because I was thinking of that too. And I think, didn't we talk about that in like one of the very first podcasts? Yeah, yeah, Some, yeah. Somebody on social media, a friend of mine, she's always posts, obviously she's in school and she keeps posting about different different questions and that's something going on with her with her class. I can You can just tell. You right, know? right. And she asks about... Uh, you know, people's guilty pleasures. And I said, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I only believe in pleasure. Right. If I like something. Why be, why be guilty? I like it. Right. Don't let other people, if you like Nickelback, don't let Mike. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Don't let Mike uh, um, bully you into <laughs> not liking it because of his, you know, disdain for it. If you like Jackson yeah. Pollock and you got a painting hanging up in, in your house and, and you like it because it speaks to you for some oh, yeah. ungodly reason. Absolutely. Um, I, I I tend to think him and I would be friends, honestly. I, I think personality-wise, I think him and I would click. Right. I, I think it'd be fun to hang out with him. I, I know he had a little bit of a temper, and I know he drank a lot, and he probably shouldn't have. Um, but I think as a human being, I think there's a lot that I would have been interested in him and I hanging out. Do you think if you knew him on a personal level, you'd appreciate his art more? No. You don't? No. No, because I can appreciate people and not necessarily like their art. You know? Does that ever come into play? Like like uh, one of your friends or, or when you were uh, photographing bands and, and you heard different things. And it's like, well, I know these guys. And it hits you a little bit different because you know them. Or if you just hate it, you just hate it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've photographed bands. Uh, mainly for work that I didn't quite like. And I was asked to do a review of the show. That was tough. Um, I'm not a huge fan of grunge music, but um, there are people in the grunge industry that I like. Uh, Ian Severson is a good example. Uh, He's actually agreed to be on the show. And hopefully if he hears this when he won't actually cancel that agreement, but you know, I'm not a huge fan of that kind of music, but that's me. But what's okay. So here's, here's the thing. What's more important. If, if somebody that you respect as a person, but you don't, you know, there are, isn't for you. It's not necessarily just cause you don't like something doesn't mean it's, it's invalid. We've all, we're, we're oh, starting yeah. out on that yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't but, look at their art to define who they are. I look at them to define who they are. Their art is their expression. Right. But if, if you like somebody's art, but you don't like them as a person or you like somebody as a person, but you don't like their art. And both of those people cite, hey, check out this new up-and-coming artist that I'm just over the moon about, which one's opinion holds more, the person that... Oh, that's an easy one, because I I love Brewdog beer. I think they make fantastic beer. I think their brewmaster is just amazing. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the owners, because I met them. They were like, I don't want to say them, I met James. I think he was a dick. Right. And... 
that kind of goes along with the whole, hey, you get to meet somebody you really like, blah, blah, blah. And you realize they're not the person you thought they were. You know, I don't think him and I would get along. So, but I still his, like their beer. I won't. But buy is his it. opinion still va- valid to you then? No. Because no, not anymore. Uh, after I realize kind of his position in where he's at as a brew maker, as an owner of a brewery, um, I I get a different feel for his agenda for making beer. There's plenty of other beer makers that I can enjoy that I like, and I know the owners. I know the brewmasters and it's, I'll just go there. Same, same goes for the art. You know, I'm more inclined to accept whatever art you make if I like you. But if I don't like you, that doesn't mean I'm going to like your art. I'm actually more inclined to not like your work if I don't like you. Even, even if I, and the initial thought was, Wow, that's really good. I'll give you another good example. Let's say that I can go back in history and see something from Vermeer, right? Mm-hmm. And I really like his painting, you know, the the girl with the pearl earring. That's oh, that's yeah. a common common Vermeer. Um, and I met Vermeer. He was a total ass. I wouldn't like Vermeer's work anymore, just because I don't like him. Now I know that's very. Eh, kind of not right but on the same token let's flip that let's say that I was in a pub somewhere having a beer and Jackson Pollock walked in and heard me bad mouthing him he may not like me his first impression may be that guy's a dick right I've heard his podcast I think he's awful right and this is also why I think we get a lot of bad reviews that say these guys aren't any good right not that we have a lot of bad reviews. We don't have very many reviews. Oh, which is it? <laughs> we're, we're about a four right now, four or five. Out of what? Five. Oh, well, that's pretty good. Yeah, we're okay. You, I'd you settle get, for get, a three. Yeah, you get that one guy didn't like it. I don't I don't care. People aren't, aren't going to like everything you do. I get that. But if him and I were able to have a conversation like a couple of adults, his work wouldn't matter to me. If I liked him, that's what matters. So that's me generally. I don't, I'm not one of these people that I'm not going to fangirl over somebody just because they're popular. That's just. Right. But if you like something and then the creator turns out to be an asshole, it's, uh, the art hasn't changed. Your perception of the art has changed. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I can choose which art I like. Can you? Yeah. Because it's subjective. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I if I buy that. I don't think you can choose what art you like. I think either you like something maybe, or you don't. Maybe boycott is a better way. You because can, I really you can do decide like, you're not going to support it. Yeah, but, yeah. But it's like you talking about Brewdog. Either you, I mean you like the 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 product. You don't like the owner of the product, but that didn't, the product didn't change. It was still something that you liked. I mean, yeah. I like strangleholds one of my favorite uh songs of all time but you know i'm not a big fan of of some of the stuff that nugent yeah. has done yeah but that don't make stranglehold any any less of yeah. a good song yeah i can see that i, I that, get that yeah. don't mean i'm i'm not gonna that don't mean that i'm gonna go out and and try to promote him um or somebody else i'm trying to think of somebody else who's somebody who's like a really terrible person that made good music but <laughs> it's but but you know what I'm saying? It's Chad like Kruger. Um, huh? <laughs> Chad Kruger. <laughs> Is he a bad person? Probably not. 
<laughs> Probably is now. Everybody picks I, on him. It if he called me tomorrow and asked me to learn all those songs, which I'm not good at covers, but I mean, I would. Uh, <laughs> I'd say I'd, I'd say I'd make more a year, and I'm I am now just being their side guy. So I mean, I don't I don't hate their music. Okay, I don't hate it. I just it's not something I would listen to. Boy, this is just we have to change this to all walks of art except Nickelback podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is, is art, art is supposed to speak to you on, like you said, on, on different levels. It mm-hmm. either hits you intellectually, it hits you emotionally, or for me, especially music, it hits you viscerally. Yeah. It, it's on a sub, sub, um, I don't know, a sub particle level. And, um, if I like it, I like it. Now, if I find out some backstory or something, something's going on and maybe I don't, uh, I don't feel the same about it mm-hmm. for, I mean, that's possible, but either, either it speaks to you or it doesn't. And I think regardless of, of who created it, it's still, if you're being honest with yourself, yeah, the art didn't change your perception of the art. So changed. Do, you, do you not like this beer? Cause it's made by monks. No, I would. I wanted to like it because that because that's that's kind of kind of cool. That's kind of metal. Yeah. I, no, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm being facetious. I, I'm throwing this stuff out there because again, I don't think we can answer the question. Um, ultimately, it has to be what's more important to you. You know, I know on a broad scale, on a very large kind of uh, popular scale we kind of have to go with whatever the media is telling us is important. But if we dig deeper and we find out what's important to us, that's when we start to make real discovery. So, but but the general, the general public isn't going to do that. That's our job. Our job as in, as artists, as artists, we have to educate. Yeah. And we have to educate ourselves and we have to educate people on, because the general public is not going to, they're going to look on the surface and unless you bring something to light, yeah. they're not going to, they're not going to discover that there's music lovers out there and there's art lovers out there, Yeah, but there's a, they're the exception to the rule and they're going to dig a little bit deeper and, and they're, they like to listen to B sides and they put on their albums and whatever, <laughs> you know, but that's not, if I'm going to try to get uh, Joe Blow to comes to one of my shows. He's good by the way. To uh, He's very popular. <laughs> To, if I'm going to try to turn them on, not like John Doe. If I'm going to try to, if I'm going to try to turn on a millennial to ZZ Top, I'm going to do that by my band playing it, and it's somebody that likes my band, and it's like, hey, I really like that third song. What was that? Oh, well, that was a ZZ Top cover. Are you serious? Now they're checking ZZ Top out. It's okay, Boomer. <laughs> I'm Gen X, baby. I'm Gen X. I know. I'm just making fun. But no, you brought but, up millennials. But, but I mean, that's the truth. I mean, yeah. that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to. Yeah. Is the Mandalorian popular because of. Oh, you really want to get me started on the Mandalorian. I, I do. Because the last episode was pretty good. The last but, episode was incredible. It was as good as, as, as yeah. any movie. But the Mandalorian is so, it's so overrated. It's just not even funny. Is it because of the Yoda-like creature? That's what's keeping sucked in. And I think uh, Pedro Pascal's... He's so damn cute. Not um, Pedro, but... The- <laughs> his his portrayal and yeah. being able... And, and this, I think, this is a case study in good art. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's got a helmet on virtually the entire time in this in this series. Eight eight shows long. Yeah, yeah. If, if, spoiler alert. There's stuff coming. So you probably... If you haven't watched episode 
Chapter eight. The finale. Probably, probably should not listen. Yeah. Uh, there's the, the way he's able to act and convey what he's thinking mm-hmm. through that. It's awesome, man. Not, every, is, not anybody is. can That's do it. Tough, and they do yeah. a good job of that. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. I've, I've been on record talking about how the, the prison break episode, I think it was six, was probably one of the worst things I'd ever seen on television. Yeah. Um, almost stopped watching the series because of that. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. I was the same way. I was getting cut. seven and eight was great. But here's the thing. I feel like that we've we've been been given such subpar uh, Star Wars for so long. Or just like a battered spouse, it's like now you're gonna beat us. You're gonna beat us a little bit less, and and thank you, sir. May, thank you, thank you for the crumbs. Yeah. May I have another. Everybody's yeah. also acting like this thing's the greatest yeah. show on TV. It's I think it's good. It's to, good to borderline yeah, yeah. on on very good at times, yeah, yeah. but it's not the you know. It's not Social media has blown it out of proportion, yeah. and the and the general public has just. And, and I'm telling you, media has made it popular. Media, but not just me. People. People post well, yeah, about. social media and all, all media. Right. The, the stuff we look at every day um, while you're sitting on a crapper. But, and I think people, <laughs> people thinks it's good because it's, it's a little bit better than, than what we're used to having. So if you just black one of my eyes, instead of giving me a concussion, now yeah. I start to think that, oh, well, that's, that's actually pretty good. Well, then let me, let me bring up another show because. The Witcher. You don't talk about The Witcher. I like The Witcher, that's but that's not the show. Stuff. Oh. That is a really brutal show. Yeah, you know, are you familiar with the books or the games at all? Uh, a little bit, okay. not 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 enough to really go after it that way. But I I discovered a show, and for all everybody who has Amazon Prime, you you probably if you're like me, you kind of go to the you know, you go to the Netflix, you go to the Apple Plus and the Disney Plus, and those those things just kind of all come up first. Yeah, and then you remember, oh yeah, I've got a Prime account, I've got movies over there. So you go over here. I found a show called Carnival Row. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Oh, my God. It's a good show. Acting I, I is told fantastic. you to watch it, but see, you didn't listen to me. I did listen to you. I put it on my wish list. Oh, okay. So that's actually how I found it. So be nice. I know. <laughs> Pissing me off, Mike. Uh, I watched, because we're off, um, we, we've got this break from our regular jobs. The grind. Uh, I was able to watch the whole thing. Did you know that one of the producers... Mark Guggenheim. <gasps> That's your guy, ain't it? No. Peggy Guggenheim was oh, like yeah. my, my gal, but uh, it was in the Czech Republic. I didn't realize that. So it really didn't exist in, I thought it was London the whole time, but because it kind of had that London feel. Right. Everybody speaks English. But um, very good, interesting show from an artistic perspective. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know that's one of the things that you and I both love is is we're very into set design and costumes yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and the, the art that goes into it, which is some kind sometimes not as. Um, There's a lot of so- social awkwardness in it. Yeah, I mean, there really is. It's almost like they're they're playing roles. <laughs> did you finish the whole show? I did. Oh. They're playing roles of taboo, but it's almost like they're inserting. A fairy, right? Or well, this. they're doing the same thing in in a Witcher. It's yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. it's just kind of our way of using fantasy. Um, or in Blight, Bright. Did you see that the movie Bright with uh, Will Smith? On you should watch that. Um, but you know you're using you're using uh, fairies and interspecies as a allegory for oh yes race, I did I did for race. You had and a cop, uh, a friend who was a orc. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, same kind of thing. 
Um, I think it's interesting. That's the kind of the world we live in now where, you know, we used to watch, uh, uh, what was it? What's the show with, um, uh, Carol O'Connor, not all in the family, but the one where he's a cop. Oh, the cop, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, he does night, I think. He does night, yeah. that is right. You know, where you have shows where you got people of different race that's right, right. in a, you know, and minorities that now they're, they're cops. And, and that was a new thing in the, right. in the sixties and right, right. this and that. Well, now we're not having shows like that. We're having shows where fairies are being discriminated against and, and, right. and, you know, almost a political correctness so that we can kind of get away with it. I think so. But I think it's, we've been maybe it's interesting because of, um, you still, if you look deeper, you can tell that's what this is. It's like, you know, they're discriminating against centaurs, but yeah, yeah. what that is, and they come over and they had worked and what it is, it's an allegory for right, um, right. the Chinese that come over and built the railroads and were treated yeah, terribly. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, or um, in the case of Carnival Row, uh, just like in Avatar, it's like the Native Americans and how they right, right, they discovered right. this new land and they wanted something that was valuable in it. So they decided to wipe out the yeah. indigenous people. Um, indigenous people. Indigenous. Yeah, yeah man, I am buzzed. I am buzzed. Really? Yeah, a little bit. I'm starting to come out of it. But the thing is, is it's a way to, to get you to look at things different mm-hmm. without having it beat over your head in a blatant way. And I think it's pretty cool. And it's it's pretty cool that we've ex- we've got to the point um, guys like me and you, this isn't new. We we were in the comic books and we were in the fantasy right, right. stuff and they've been writing stories like this forever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, they've been doing the, the X-Men and, and the whole uh, storyline with the mutants and, yep, yep. and they put them in concentration camps right. and they marked them right. as uh, mutants and uh, they had to register. That's 25, 30 years ago stuff, oh, yeah, yeah. 40 years ago stuff. Yep. But now it's a way for you're watching this, you don't even realize that what you're getting out of it and how yeah. you're looking at things different. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a, good because you get a little bit of a sympathy. You, you do. start to care on something. Your, your own prejudice kind of goes away. So they're the, using this art yeah. for social awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. I think. And, and it's an art form that is generally looked at as one of the lesser art forms. Right. Right. You know? And I, I think for on Carnival Rose point, the, the people who put, uh, the the casting uh, people did a really good job. I think uh, Cara Delevingne makes an incredible fairy. Oh yeah, I, I think I think her just her facial structure and everything just really kind of <laughs> mm. <laughs> Paul's getting excited here thinking about Cara. Um, Orlando Bloom, you know, I watched uh, in my in I my. I thought he was an elf. Yeah. In, All white, wrong movie. Yeah. In my uh, mode of procrastination through the night when I was trying to, when I really should have been coming up with show notes for what we're going to do today, I watched the movie Troy. And of course, he's he's a, quite a bit younger in oh, that Oh, yeah, I that love movie. that movie. It is a great movie. Brad Pitt is so hot in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is. <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna ask my ex-wife and I can't take it. <laughs> get get Paul uh, boozed up a little bit. He starts talking about Brad Pitt. Oh no! Look look, I can't. You know, I'm secure enough. I can look at it. There's just yeah. Wow. 
I don't, I don't even lean but, that way anymore, but. But I guess not any less either. You know, to to yeah. round this up because we're gonna have to we have to kind of cool it here. Yeah, oh, we we've been at it for a little bit. I just sobered up. Um, you got me drunk again. Yeah. <laughs> I I think art, and I'm not gonna be able to answer this question because it's it's above me. It's uh, I think it's something we all need to think about a little bit. Are we only interested in what we're being told because the cool kids, the popular kids are telling us this is what we should like and what we should do. I'll answer that for you partly. Yeah, yeah. But it's mostly laziness. We want to fit in. Yeah, we want to fit in. We want to, nobody wants to go against the grain and say they're, you know, I don't like, I don't like that because, you know. No, but there is a different, it's different than when you and I were in school where I think that the misfit, the nerd, the geek, the the person that's in the, like this weird stuff is, um, more accepted it now. is more accepted and sometimes they're the they're they're kind of more the maybe you know it's like a uh um an anti kind of popularity kind of thing yeah it's know? almost cool to not fit in right um but it's just like with these shows i think it's the same thing you, there's all these different shows that play and maybe they go for two seasons and nobody watches them and then you go back and it's like man why was nobody watching this and just the thought that went into it and the detail and the, um, it's like that with music. It's like, but if it's not, if it's not on the, the first five squares of our queue, we're not searching for it. And our time is so limited. It's hard for, it's hard for artists, much less the general public to, to filter out. What am I going to listen to? Yeah. If they're listening to the show, which I gotta, I gotta take this opportunity to say, if you're listening to the show and you're giving us your time, I really appreciate it because it's valuable. You're being bombarded with so many other things you could be doing. Right. And uh, I, I really do. I appreciate you being here. So go on, Paul. So it, 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 when you listen to somebody you respect, whether you like them as a person or you like their art, that helps weed out. That's a, that's a way of filtering um, some of the stuff. There's oh, only yeah. 24 hours in a day. Yeah. You can only watch, listen, look, do so many things right. so it's easier with our we're we're still tribal and we're still a community and you listen to other people's opinions more so than just looking on google mm-hmm. and looking if i look on uh, under heavy metal for google it's going to come up with five things that is not really right w- if you ask me what's heavy metal today's a really good example somebody posted on facebook about uh who's who does your favorite version of of your favorite cover of Hallowed Be Thy Name mm-hmm. by Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. Is it, uh, and there was two choices. There was a Cradle of Filth's version mm-hmm. and Machine Head's version. Now, I wrote Iced Earth because they do a version on on uh, one of their older albums mm-hmm. with Matt Barlow mm-hmm. singing on it. That's really stellar. I didn't even know that Machine Head had done a version of that on the Blackening album. must have been on an import or something because I got mm-hmm. that album. It's mm-hmm. not on there. I didn't know, but that got me looking at right. it on YouTube and it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good stuff. Right. But that's the thing. I was never going to search. How did I know to oh, search yeah, that yeah, out? Yeah, yeah, Most people don't know that uh, the band Tour, T-Y-R, um, they, they, uh, did, they do covers on just about every album, but they did a cover of uh, Dio's Eye. Oh, I like that song. And it is so good. Really? Oh, yeah. I'll check that it, out yeah. on the way home. Yeah, it's, it's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, and they're, you know, they're, they speak Faroese. Right. So it's like English is not their native language. 
And here they are throwing us out there like, holy crap, you know, and it's just not popular. So I'm going to end this show with something that I think is pretty important. I really believe that uh, if you are a promoter, if your job is marketing and promoting, uh, now is probably the toughest time in the world to promote because we're not doing posters and, you know, light poles anymore. They're, we're all fighting for time. And if you're an artist and you're looking for, for <laughs> listen to me, if you're looking for a way to get your artwork out there, if you're, if you're expecting to have that level of fame that the people you admire gets, understand that you didn't come up in their time. Understand that you didn't follow their path. You're on your own path. You're doing your own thing. And I think it's really critical that every artist know this today, that you do have to find your tribe. As you mentioned, Paul, uh, you do have to find your community. And whether that community is 500 people, 1,000 people, or the masses, I think most artists lose track of the idea that they don't need thousands upon thousands upon thousands of followers. They need enough people to support their income. Mm -hmm or their standard of living, I should say. They need enough people that would give them enough to support their living. And that may not be a lot for you. Like in my case, if I sell a $5,000 painting, I really don't need, I really don't need more than 500 people supporting me that. I can't paint 500 paintings at that level. That's just too many. But you get the idea. You get the concept right. of what I'm trying to say here. I personally, as a as a visual artist, I want to make my money the majority of the money I bring in, I, I don't want to make it from making a painting. I want to make it from all of my artistic endeavors. And the premise of what I'm trying to say is find the community and give that community what they're wanting, but also be the artist you are. And don't, don't worry about fame. Don't, don't go out there and try to seek it because it's fickle. If the media doesn't like you, the media doesn't promote you, you'll probably never be known. And that's that's the sad truth of being an artist. Um, do we know Rembrandt because he's Rembrandt? Easy word, easy name, he's Dutch. What? Why? Why do we know Rembrandt? Right. Somebody wrote about it. Somebody else wrote about it. Another person wrote about it. It became famous. It's an easy name to remember. Not not downplaying Rembrandt at all. This has got nothing to do with subjectivity or me choosing whether or not art is good or bad. It's the fact that we know Rembrandt because it became him and his art became famous because the masses wrote it down. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be, I think this is a key point here. If you want your art to succeed, you're going to have to get it in front of the eyeballs that write about it. You're going to have to get it in front of the people who actually have some sort of uh, influence over what it is. And I think we're living in a day and age where influence is so important that this is why people like Amazon are paying people to be influencers. This is why the word influencer has even come into our, our vocabulary as 
hey, I'm a social media influencer. I can make money by just sharing your product. That's ridiculous. I'm not downplaying that career choice if that's what somebody wants to do, but for crying out loud. Right. You know. Oh, well. There's more to life than what they're force feeding us. Exactly. Dig a little deeper. And Scratch I, that and, and I would say this is a call to arms to all of our artistic brothers and sisters that if there's something out there that is not getting the recognition that you think it, it deserves or there's somebody out there that is making something that you think is inspiring, it's your job. It's your duty. It's your calling to share that and to spotlight other people. Oh, yeah. Social media isn't yeah. all about promoting yourself. Yeah. It's about sharing your experiences and others' experiences and turning people on to things that yep. turn you on. Yeah. If you're Build not if you're not doing that, you're doing you're doing your followers and you're doing your your the fellow uh artists in your bubble, you're doing them a disservice. Absolutely. Paul, where can people find you? MGflash.com, Facebook.com slash Vexton, V E X T O N. Awesome. awesome. And Hit you me can up. you can uh if you go to our website, the show's website uh, you can, uh, it's at, uh, I always do this. I'm never Is there really tastefully done nudes of me on, on uh, our website. I had to take them down. I got, I got called out on it. Uh, wasn't very tasteful. Uh, I know. I know. But if you go to all walks of art, that's not all walks. Oh, fart. That's <laughs> all walks of art dot simplecast.com. You'll find basically links to all the information that we give you in these shows uh, you can find links to different things. But one of the things I really want to share as we're getting ready to leave is that there is a link where you can join our Discord server. Yeah, we have a lounge. Oh, yeah. Mike's, Mike's, Mike's lounge. lounge. I've been there. In, I ain't yeah. been there in a couple weeks. Though. Yeah, it's pretty quiet in there. It, it really is. But it's actually a great place for for me. I keep saying fur. It's a really great place Gert. to just kind of sit down and just chat about things. We could talk yeah. about these episodes afterwards and before and whatever, you know, however we, we do it. But um, it's community. Discord, I know, is not for everybody, but there it is. You can find me at michaelworth.com. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-W-A-R-T-H.com. That's a mouthful, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> wow. I'm so confused. I know, right? Uh, that's all I got. You got anything else? That's it. I'm ready. I gotta, right. get, I gotta get something to eat. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's that little beer you brought. That uh, little beer. Well, look how much of the bottle's gone. It's, it's just supposed to be a shot, and you put them in these great big, I don't know what these drinking glasses are called. My wife got me these. They're awesome. Here we are, not being able to finish the show. <laughs> I know. It's all right. <laughs> these are awesome. I love these shot glasses. They're really heavy. Yeah, they're, they're nice. They're like twisted glass. They're not shot glasses, though. They're huge. That's like a triple shot in there, it's, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a tumbler. Yeah, it's that's how I drink. That's, and you're calling them a shot glass. That yeah. I think that says a lot about. I think next on next week's episode, <laughs> you're Mike's intervention. Well, Mike's intervention. If you look up there on my uh, yeah, there's some there's little, a little shot glass. You know what I use that shot glass for? <laughs> to probably clean your brushes. <laughs> well, you're almost right. I put a little bit of medium in that, and that's that's how I get my medium out. What's a medium? Oh, a medium is like a, I make my own. It's a. A little bit of linseed oil mixed with turpentine. And depending on what stage of the painting I'm at, there's different levels of turpentine. So like, uh, I'll start, this is a whole nother episode of stuff, but basically just for all of you listening who paint with oils, you already know this, you got to paint fat over lean. 
And what? I start with lean, which is a lot of turpentine, and I build my way up to fat, which is a lot of linseed oil. I so, didn't know this. We'll have to yeah, get into this. That's, yeah, it's it's that's uh, interesting. It's all kinds of things. But uh, yeah, I use that that shot glass. That shot glass goes back to the 1920s, so it's almost 100 years old. I don't want to touch it. I might break it on this. <laughs> it won't, you won't break it. I've dropped it several times. It's a, it's made out of real glass. Oh. <laughs> Not that cheap shit we get today. Yeah. All right, folks. Thank you for listening. Yes. We are really deep into this show. We could probably so go deep. on and on and on and on. I'm going to have another Trappist Ale from La Trap. And uh, that's all I've got. Paul, I love having you on the show. I love being here. It's good for 2020. This is our first show of the year. Oh, and wow. I am so happy. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, happy New Year. Well, we should have put that at the beginning. Oh, cut this know. out. Hold on. Silence for a second. Happy New Year. All right. No, no, no. What we're going to do, we're going to cut that. We're going to put that at the start of the show. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> you had to listen all the way to the end to get the good shit. Uh, that's how we That's how we roll. All right. I hate that phrase. That's how we roll. How many minutes are we at? We're at 100. Or actually, one, one hour, 25 minutes, 15 oh, seconds. Jesus, God. I'll, I'll be cutting a lot of this. Oh, uh, okay. Maybe not really. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but yeah, if you're a creative, I, I want to say this too. If you're okay. a creative, you know, just send us, a, drop us a line. Let us know what you do. Might have you on the show. Let's, Seriously. Let us know you're listening. Yeah. Tell, um, tell me when I'm full of shit about something. Yeah. I, I, I really, it. we need feedback. We do. We, it's good to hear from people in our community who listen to the show. If you like the show, you know, and I know we're all over the world. People are just listening to it, which I really appreciate. So, I mean, here we are sitting in this little bitty room drinking booze with a creme brulee candle burning. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) And then we'll come back in a couple weeks and we'll do it again. Yep. Yep. We'll do it every two weeks. I'm I'm actually thinking about doing uh, 30 minute episodes that are solo to fill in the week between. Oh yeah? Yeah. I might do it. I don't know. I tend to talk a lot, so I think I could probably do 30 minutes by myself. Probably could. I don't know. It's to give you a break. You know, I can't do it. I can't do it every week. I run out of stuff to say. I know, I know. And I also think that uh, maybe we, we might cut these episodes down. I tried to do it today with only yeah, one how'd that topic. Work? How'd that work? <laughs> it didn't work at all. It's hard to... I will say this. It's hard to drink and have a show in 30 minutes because we're just going to get fucking trashed if we <laughs> try to drink everything we drink right. in 30 minutes and get it out, you know? Because I think the better... This is going to sound so bad. I think our better content is after we've already loosened up a little bit. Well, yeah, well... I don't know. I'm already loose, but I was a little subdued there at the beginning because I was uh, <laughs> disoriented. That was a big shot. It was. That was you poured it. Uh, well... In the big glass. And I gave you more than I gave me. All I need is a shot. I don't need this big old glass. My wife got me these. Did I say that? You did. All right. (laughs) Let's let's look. Somebody's got to bring us back into reality. All right. Everybody's listening. And scene. Okay. All right. Thanks, thanks everybody. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) Wait a minute. We're not off yet. What are we doing? What are we doing? Still gotta, still gotta hit the button. Oh, that's great. That's what she said. Maybe it is. It didn't look like it stopped. Maybe it didn't record at all. I don't.